Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. In this episode of our DC podcast series, Brownstein strategic advisor Senator Mark Begich joins policy directors Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Mayer for a discussion on the nuclear option and the impact of invoking this procedural tool in the U.S. Senate on a Supreme Court nomination vote. They also forecast what might happen in the next few days as Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch makes his way to the Senate floor for a full Senate vote. Welcome back to another podcast. I'm joined again this morning with Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Mayer. We're bringing these two congressional experts together again to talk about some great issues. But this one's kind of really topical and and could really change the way the Senate works or doesn't work, depending on how you look at it. And we want to talk a little about the Gorsuch nomination, the nuclear option. What does this all mean? I will start with just a quick story. The the last time there was a change in the rules, it was under the leadership of um, then-Majority Leader Reid. I was actually the presiding officer. And when he brought the motion to the floor, I had to rule him out of order. So I know this issue well. And then they had to appeal uh, my ruling, which then, of course, they prevailed. And the rule was changed for a lot of the lower courts just to receive a, a simple majority. Uh, but I remember that moment. It was tense and uh, having to rule your uh, majority leader out of order uh, is its own challenge, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. But the parliamentarian was very clear on the rule. and uh, But they also had the, react- the ability to overrule the chair by actions of the majority. So here we are again. We have a nominee. And there's some lingering heartburn from some members in the Democratic uh, Senate caucus about uh, – Judge Garland not getting, quote, his fair hearing, unquote. Um, now we have uh, a new nominee, new president, uh, who's going through the hearings uh, and a lot of angst with people about what does this mean? And if you don't get the 60 votes, will the Republicans change the rule and make it a simple majority for the Supreme Court? This is a, a, a great question, and some will say a, a very big constitutional Concern. So let me start with uh, Elizabeth Gore. And, you know, you're around these Democrats. This is a topic of a lot of discussion. What do you think is going to happen? Is he going to get approved? Is he is a nuclear option going to happen? Are we all going to hope this never happened? Uh, What's the story? Well, my prediction is that there will be a vote on Judge Gorsuch. He will get a majority, but he will not get to 60 votes. And uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, will uh, do uh, just what you said. He will invoke this nuclear option, and they will change the rules, and Judge Gorsuch will go to the Supreme Court on a majority vote, the first Supreme Court justice ever to go without being required to you know, meet this higher threshold. It's a fundamental change in the way that we operate. And I, I think it's a mistake, uh, but I do think that it is likely to happen here and probably in the next uh, week. Elizabeth Mayor, do you think that this will fundamentally change the relationships in the Senate? Uh, do you agree uh, with this analysis that probably in the next week this is all going to happen? And lo and behold, it will now be 50 plus one. And But do you think... I'm I'm curious about that answer, but I think our listeners might be also curious, what does this do to the relationship? Because, as you know, we have a lot of people that we work with in Brownstein that, you know, want people to work together to get things done. Yeah. In a nutshell, I think that 
as far back as 2005 when um, there was some anticipation that the nuclear option was going to be invoked by Majority Leader Frist at the time, um, a gang of um, what they called themselves a gang of uh, 14 senators um, came together. And seven Republicans, seven Democrats. Seven Republicans and seven Democrats. And it's interesting, uh, at this point in time, I believe only Senators Collins and McCain and Graham are left in the Senate from that whole big group, which is kind of interesting. But they came together and they came up with a sort of informal yet formal set of rules for the continuation of um, consideration of judges and only for what what was called um, not extenuating but very extraordinary, extraordinary circumstances um, would um, it, folks in that group of 14 be let off the hook to vote against um, a judicial nomination. And that held for a, a bit of time. It held for a a period of time. It was kind of um, like lock arms together, we go together, we rise and fall together. Right. Um, but in the intervening years, some things happened. Um, and then in 2013, uh, Majority Leader Harry Reid decided to, as you described, because you were actually the presiding <laughs> like, officer no, in the chair, <laughs> yeah. invoke the nuclear option for um, all lower court judges all the way up to the circuit judges. And the uh, ruling of the chair, as you described, was appealed. And then on a simple majority vote, the rules were changed. And those are the rules we're living with. And I believe now, you know, Senate Republicans are just so frustrated um, that they aren't going to get their Supreme Court nominee through. And there's such partisanship bleeding over into the negotiations on this that I do believe I agree with Elizabeth, um, at least on the end effect of it. I do believe that Senate Republicans, including Senator McConnell and probably Senator Hatch, believe that to be quite crude about it, that Harry Reid started to sort of burn down the House. And there's not much of a House really left right now as it relates to this. And so they will work to um, change the rules and um, they will vote to get what most virtually all Republicans and frankly, many Democrats and people who are on the opposite side of the issues of Neil Gorsuch believe is um, one of the most qualified ever Supreme Court nominees um, to go through the the Senate. So I do think he'll get in or get voted through probably by next Friday. So I, I think it's interesting when Republicans in the Senate express frustration with the voting uh, for Neil Gorsuch. Uh, you know, Merrick Garland also beyond a doubt, highly qualified and was nominated by President Obama, wouldn't even get a hearing, not even a hearing from Republicans in the Judiciary Committee. And there was absolutely no precedent for Republicans saying, oh, it's the last year of an administration, therefore we're not going to move forward. The Supreme Court has been short a justice for more than a year. Um, there have been a series of cases that where they haven't been able to get decisions because they're split four to four. There is no greater 
abdication of responsibility than what the Republicans did in the way they treated Merrick Garland. And for them to come out now and say that they are going to change the rules of the Senate on something as monumental and consequential as a Supreme Court nomination is breathtaking to me. And I think they call it the nuclear option for a reason. It is a huge change. And listen, I acknowledge that Harry Reid, as a Democrat, Democratic uh, leader, made a change in the way that we did some of these lower court nominations. But no one is going to say that a district court judge is the same as a Supreme Court justice. They are different and they should be treated differently. And so I'm sorry to see this change coming. Um, I think it is going to fundamentally change the relationship between Democrats and Republicans. And it seems to me that if you're going to have a lifetime appointment on the Supreme Court of the United States of America, that there should be some level of consensus and that a party line vote, it just is not good enough. Um, And that's what we're going to see here um, in the next uh, week to 10 days. Is this, you know, I I mentioned this at the kind of in the question earlier, and that is, is this really maybe a symptom of the system breakdown? In other words, here we are on something, and and I'm the same view. I I think um, starting on a Supreme Court, it's a lifetime. You know, changing that is is dangerous in a lot of ways. But um, is this is this a symptom of this bigger problem of, you know, everything is so polarized, politicized, that it's almost impossible. I mean, Lindsey Graham said something I thought was very interesting. I actually sent him a text thanking him for saying it, and that was about this situation. And that is, if if we're not careful, the whole judicial process, which is kind of, the, in some ways, the last resort for an individual to anybody to kind of get justice on something, maybe a piece of legislation or criminal action or whatever it might be, that we're now making that so political that we're going to have this unstable system for for now and forever because now the last branch of government has become totally politicized. And when they when he's saying the last branch, it meaning the Supreme Court in that sense is Elizabeth Mayor. I mean, is this is it a symptom? Is it is Elizabeth Gore right that this is a bad idea long term? And there are some heartburn over uh, Garland, but yeah. Well, look, I I um, worked my entire career before working here at Brownstein um, in the Senate. And so this is, you know, it, it's a difficult issue to, for me, um, e- even as someone who worked there for 15 years, um, to get my head around and to come to a conclusion, I'm with my party. I think that things are so incendiary um, that the breakdown and the breakdown in bipartisanship is so complete. And what's happening with the Supreme Court nomination is the the output of it. And I um, I don't like it. Um, but it makes people feel uncomfortable. It because makes people, it really changes this whole way the business has been done. And, it's, and some people say, well, we need changers. This is one piece of the puzzle yeah. that you want to be very, I mean, the, the founders and the drafters of the Constitution, everything, they had a reason for certain things. Right. And this was to keep yeah, some balance. They here. did, although there is precedent over time, a number of times for individuals who are more constitutionalists 
sometimes wanting to change the rules so that you go from, let's say, a three-fifths to a two-thirds which, vote which on, on certain things, and that has happened. But I do believe that it it, it is a, a symptom of a complete breakdown in how the Congress and the executive branch operate. And it's unfortunate. I agree with that. Um, But I do state for the record that there is precedent to some degree for it on a more general level. And then not to, you know, not to be going back and forth and tit for tat, um, because I just don't think it accomplishes anything. But some people hearken back to a time many, many years ago where then-Senator Biden, who was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, took formally to the Senate floor and talked about the possibility for invoking this nuclear option. And so you do have that precedent. Now, he didn't have a vacancy to make good on it, so who knows if he really would have done it. But Democrats have talked about this, too, over time. I, I, you're just saying that. I, 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 it's almost like people who said for 50-some times we're going to repeal a uh, law never actually could do it. Yeah. <laughs> Until there was time. There was time and couldn't do it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's kind of an interesting exactly. dynamic. Elizabeth Gore, did you have something to add to that? Oh, I was just going to agree with you and uh, with Elizabeth Mayer. I think it is a symptom of a larger problem or a, a, certainly the increased partisanship has spilled into every aspect of everything that happens on Capitol Hill now. And my view is that that has um, meant that we've had uh, policies that have not had the benefit of the best of both sides. And it's it's now impacting the way that we confirm judges for the um, Supreme Court and other parts of the judicial branch. I, I just think it's a mistake. You know, it, it's interesting. I'm, I, as you were just both talking, I was thinking when I served as mayor, it was three-year terms, and every year you would get to, we had 450 boards and commissions, or people on boards and commissions. Every year, about a third of them would come up for a reappointment or new appointments or whatever. And, you know, those would always occur in February. Elections were in April. So in your third year, February would come. And I'm sitting here thinking, I remember submitting the nominations, new people. They were approved. And even when I was termed out uh, my last period, I still submitted them. They got approved. New mayor came in. He got the people for that last third, and he had a choice moving down the road. And maybe, you know, it's a lesson in a way— from local government because it's more nonpartisan. There's not a lot of party affiliations. Just go do the work. And what's happened here, and even and I disagreed with the whole process of, of gar. I mean, everyone should have a hearing. Doesn't mean you have to vote for them, but everyone should have a hearing. And there's nothing that says anywhere that says the session ends on the third year of the fourth year. I mean, it just doesn't. No one. You, it'd be like in the Senate when I uh, lost my election. After the election, I just stopped working. I stopped working when the new guy came in. That's how it works. You didn't. No one elected you for a portion of the time. They elected you for a term defined by X amount of years. And I think we've gotten into this political discussion versus a practical way to govern. And in this case, the Supreme Court one seems to be one that's going to really – I personally, I think of my colleagues, it's going to change the dynamics of relationships that are not going to be repairable in short order, only time will change it by new faces that come in. That's, I, that's my, my assumption. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. 
And, you know, if I was sitting in the Senate today, the odds of me voting for, to allow that judge to go forward to the filibuster process would be pretty high. Me voting for the judge may not be at the end of the day, mm-hmm. but the process has to go through because once you gum up the process, then you don't have the ability to do things. And this is huge. I, I agree with you. And I think one of the issues is going to be how this impacts all of the many pieces of legislation that are going to require bipartisan support moving forward. Elizabeth Mayer and I work on lots of projects together because as a firm, we work in a bipartisan way. And most of our clients need bipartisan help. And so Elizabeth and I have the privilege and the ability to work together and um, sometimes people get our names mixed up, but um, <laughs> but we are working uh, on the budget bill that's right. going to be coming up in April. We're working on an infrastructure package that may be coming up late this year or next year, and a lot of other um, legislation that's not quite as high profile, but it needs bipartisan support. And um, there is a potential, I believe, that this shift – um, makes all of that harder, mm-hmm. and it hardens the partisan lines, and it um, it you know makes people less willing to to reach across the aisle, and so that's another um, byproduct of this whole yeah. all, all, all the way yeah. down to just um, you know functioning government and and getting through the appropriations process. It just breaks down even more and you can't do it. And it's, you know, both sides and you end up just doing these non-filled out continuing resolutions because you can't get to a place where how folks used to do it sort of in the old days, um, you worked through the meat of, say, the appropriations bills and you did (laughs) conferences and you passed a bill. So Could, Could it be, you know, the House has a certain way of doing business. And the Senate always was kind of like the body of that would deliberate and discuss. But, you know, when this happens, if the Supreme Court nuclear option happens, and maybe this could be the, the last comment by both of you, and that is, can this lead to, not that I would ever suggest this, could this lead to the, fa- the point of getting rid of the filibuster in total? I mean, if they'd done it for the Supreme Court, why wouldn't they do it on a transportation bill? Why wouldn't they do it on a tax bill? Why wouldn't they do it on a health care bill? It kind of puts this question in the ether a little bit. And Elizabeth Mayer and Elizabeth Gore, maybe each one of you give a kind of final comment on this. I've heard rumblings from some folks who would be just fine with that. But cooler heads, I believe, wouldn't be. And you have to count on the senators being the balance there. Elizabeth Gore, last comment on that? I generally agree with Elizabeth Mayer. I I think it's unlikely that that is going to be what happens and that the filibuster would be eliminated completely. You know, I I guess there's one scenario where you have a a president that's President Trump that's not able to cobble together any sort of bipartisan agreement on anything. And his frustration grows with uh, with the Senate rules, and he makes a big push to get rid of the filibuster because he thinks that that's going to be helpful to him. But even that, I think, is is relatively unlikely uh, because I think his problems are much uh, deeper and broader than that. So uh, with respect to the filibuster, I think it's likely to stay in place for legislation moving forward. 
but I still think that the change that we're likely to see on the Supreme Court is is a huge one and an unfortunate one. Well, I will tell you, we'll end, end on this, but I, I will say the most, I always had a rule in the Senate when I was mayor and on the Assembly is policy driven by personalities is probably bad policy mm-hmm. uh, be, because it's moments in time. So hopefully, you know, sadly, we may see the nuclear option next week. Hopefully, calmer heads will prevail and it'll be something that we don't see yet out there but uh thank you both for joining uh the podcast today on a pretty hot topic and one that a lot of people are watching from many different sides so thank you all for being here glad thank you thank you for listening to the brownstein hyatt farber shrek podcast series visit www.bhfs.com for more information